the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Weekday evenings on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. It's 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. Host Daryl Wood brings you the day's news and trending topics as only he can with a unique blend of conservative opinion, constitutionalism, and thought-provoking analysis. Join the conversation. 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. A daily look at the news in a way you won't hear anywhere else. Tune in to 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. Or stream at PatriotDetroit.com. You are in, in what part of the country? <laughs> Southwest Colorado. Wonderful. How are you picking us up? Oh, I stream you guys on my uh, iPhone every day. Fantastic. Um, I, I am a resident of Sterling Heights, but uh, I frequently come to Southwest Colorado. I am just thrilled to be hearing from you out there in Colorado. Continue to listen, tune in again, and call at your earliest convenience. Godspeed. Run to Win with Daryl Wood, Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on Faith Talk Detroit. Welcome to the Jewish Hour. I'm your host, Herschel Finner. We've got a really good show for you today. In this half hour of the show, we'll be interviewing Rabbi Shia Katz from Young Israel of Oak Park was recently in Washington, D.C. at the mega rally that they had there last week. And we're going to talk about that, the ramifications thereof. In the second half of the hour, we'll be talking about insights into the portion of Vayishlach, which can be found in Genesis chapter 32 and following. We've got music sprinkled throughout the show. You're going to like some of the songs. We, in fact, I hope you're going to like all of them, but we've got a really couple of really cool songs this hour for you, a really amazing Hasidic story all the way at the end. And uh, so let's go right to our guest, Rabbi Shia Katz. How are you today, Shia? I am good, thank God. Baruch Hashem, as we say. Thank you so much for coming on. Okay. So n- normally things like this that happened like, you know, weeks ago, it's like they fall off the news uh, the news wire, and it's like it became history, and it's like we moved on. But this rally that happened, it's already two weeks already, is still, people are still talking about it. So it's just like a, uh, it's not something that happens every day. And so we're going to talk about it too. So let's let's go back, and uh, you helped with organizing, getting people to from Detroit to to Washington, D.C., so what? Why? Why did you feel it was necessary that people attend this rally, which got close to three hundred thousand people in uh, in Washington, Shia Katz? Yeah, thank you for uh, for the question, and thank you for having me. I think when you consider sort of the waves, first of all, of Jewish history, but also certainly the waves of more modern Jewish um, 
reflections in in the general country that we're in in America. You know how you know different political divides have you know sent both directions in more extreme uh, w- w- to, to more extreme factions where. There's a leftward bias against the Jewish people, and there's a rightward bias against the Jewish people. And I don't know how well your audience is familiar with that divide. But given that reality, so we as Jews the world over, but specifically in America, feel the need to make it clear and obvious to everyone that we're not going to take anything sitting down, and we're not going to allow the radical elements of both sides of the aisle to dictate what's going to happen with the Jewish people. And, you know, it's not, you know, it's not our only avenue, but one of the greatest avenues that we have is just making our presence felt. And, uh, and unfortunately, you know, calling up our representatives or calling up our senators can only do so much. But having an event that has 300,000 people at the, you know, at the door of the White House, really impactful to make sure that people know, and especially the politicians know, the Jewish people are here and uh, we are we are expressing our willingness to commit and to sacrifice on behalf of the Jewish people uh, and do whatever it takes to make sure that uh, what has happened in our past will hopefully not happen in our present. Um, so that's why I felt it was important. Um, I can tell you that the, the specific three messages that we were giving over in the actual rally were, number one, you know, the support of Israel and their ongoing operations. Number two, Get the hostages home, which it is now happening in at least uh, a partial, a partial way, and then number three to combat the anti-Semitism, which has been uh, somewhat unchecked, but is now hopefully being responded to on university campuses, but also in uh, suburban and metropolitan cities around the United States. Okay, very cool. Okay, so uh, how how difficult was it? Like convincing people to go there was uh, i was actually surprised at the turnout of how many people actually went between three chartered airplanes and i think it was like five buses by the time that everybody got done with it so um, young israel was i think one of those there was like a whole separate bus for for young israel telling people listen we're going to wake up at like however early in the morning because we have to get there like at 10 o'clock in the morning and you're going to sit there on a bus for 12 hours and we're going to spend three hours there and then we're going to get back on the bus and we're going to spend another 12 hours back not my ideal of an ideal vacation but so did you have problems uh enlisting people to to participate so it it took a little bit of you know encouragement i think when you ask people not just to sit on a bus for that long, but also to be out in what happens to be what happens to be the sun that long, and then also another bus ride back, um, that's one thing. But the grueling, especially for anyone who's a little older in age, but more importantly than that was it was a work day, and you had a work day before that and a work day after that. You're really asking people to, in some ways, sacrifice Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, not just their Tuesday afternoon, which is when the rally was. Um, so in terms of that, I, I told people I don't blame anyone for not being able to go. People have lives. People have a lot to do, a lot of responsibilities that uh, that may uh, that may be more important to tend to. But anyone who wants to should you know should join us. And I will tell you that it was unanimous among my congregation and among many of the other Jews around town that everybody wanted to go. It wasn't a matter of you know whether it was important or whether it was valuable, but it was 
just a matter of, of uh, practicality. And when it comes to those kinds of commitments, so there were some people that dragged their feet. It also came with somewhat of a cost, not the same level of cost as the airplanes did. But, uh, you know, $125 is, you know, you, you know, if it's, if it's just to, to, to help the cause, so then people would probably give it. But it's to help the cause and take away a day of work and also be tired the day after the work and whatever. So it was, it was something that people were hesitant about, even if they were very passionate about. Uh, so originally, at least for our bus of 55 seats, you know, we got 25 to 30 pretty quickly. And then the last 25 was pretty, uh, was a little bit gradual. Um, and then obviously the day and two days before it, you know, we had 75 people that wanted to get on a 55 person bus, but that's just how it works. You know, people drag their feet and then realize that, you know, got to put, put the rubber to the road when, at some point. So mm-hmm. uh, originally pretty good, but it depends on the, depends on the population you're talking about, about who's more available than others. Okay, I have a daughter who was an intern for for Senator Carl Levin way back when, and she she told me that yeah. she was, this is over the summer. She said, "Oh, at least once or twice a week, there's a rally on the mall, and they'll yeah. get anywhere like ten thousand people is considered like a normal rally, or sometimes even up to forty or fifty thousand rallies." Did anybody right. expect there to be three hundred thousand people? Well, it would seem to me, just based on the response or also based on the concurrent data, that people had either pre-written or expected it to be one of those kinds of rallies because you had the New York Times with a headline of tens of thousands of Jews or busloads of Jews came to whatever. Um, So it seems like some people were expecting that, but certainly uh, we didn't know what to expect. 300,000 wasn't necessarily the number we were going for. I had told people beforehand that it was most likely going to be around 100,000. That's what I thought, and I was optimistic. I'm connected to different rabbinic groups around the country that uh, that were all telling me they were going, and that was my general ballpark as an estimate. Uh, I don't think anybody expected 300,000. No one was shocked by it, though. This was really something the Jewish people were committed to and were willing to sacrifice for. So uh, I wasn't shocked, but I was impressed. Mm-hmm. Having come back and then with that kind of numbers, were people like saying like, "Oh man, I wish I now I really wish I had gone." Did you, um, did you get any of that? Take, I think people were taken aback by the numbers, but uh, no one said, "Oh, if it was a hundred thousand, I wouldn't go." But for three hundred thousand, I would have gone. No one was really swayed by that. People really wanted to go. They wanted to go before. They wanted to go afterwards. Um, I haven't at least heard that sentiment that if it was if I knew it was three hundred thousand, I would have gone more. I haven't heard that. No. Okay, very good. Our guest today is Rabbi Shai Katz from Young Israel. They helped with uh, getting Jews to getting people to to the rally in Washington D.C. in support of Israel and their fight against Hamas last week in however long ago it was in Washington D.C. So, uh, so do you feel that the that that something was actually accomplished or it could be like, yeah, we went, we stood there and we left. And it was like, like my, my daughter would say the people come, they stand there with their signs, they yell at into the, the, uh, the nebulous air and they go home and then everybody goes on their way again. Yeah. I I think that it, it depends what you're really, what you're really after. I think people mistakenly assume that, 
these issues are black and white. And, you know, we're going 300,000 strong so that we can convince the left flank of the pol- uh, of the politics that they should, you know, listen to us. I, I don't think that that is a well-adjusted um, hope or, or desire. I think that the left flank is going to be the left flank. They have their own constituents, which unfortunately way outnumber the Jewish people. That's how it's always going to be. That's always how, how it has been. Um, but I do think that for people that are maybe straggling a little bit, you know, the politicians that are maybe more opportunistic, maybe they live in a purple state or a purple area, and, you know, they can go either way. I think an event like that definitely can sway them. But uh, I think even more important than that is people who are, are already – you know, in line, who are already um, supporters of Israel, but maybe lukewarm in the sense that they'll support Israel with the right to defense, but not if it's, you know, what they call disproportionate, or they'll support Israel, but if it gets out of hand, we're going to call for a ceasefire, right? So that kind of stuff, even if you're a supporter of Israel, there are nuances here and there that maybe you can be swayed by the general uh, media and, and, and the messages that come out about about you, even if they're undeserved. So, so knowing that there are 300,000 people willing to come to Washington, D.C. to vouch for the, the state of Israel in unapologetical terms, in a way that's not going to be, you know, uh, in, in any way nuanced or, uh, um, you know, catering to the general media or the general public. So th- there's, a, there's a, a sense of confidence that the, the politicians that are supposedly behind us that they'll get from that kind of that kind of message and so i think it depends what you're asking if you're asking in terms of black and white terms no one's really going to be convinced to support or to not support but i do think that those who are either on the fence or are lukewarm in their support get a little more galvanized by seeing uh by seeing an event like that for sure okay how about again our guest is uh, robert shia cats of young israel went to the washington rally we're talking about the ramifications thereof what about the rally itself? The, I mean, rally, the word rally is sort of like, you know, it's just denotes like fluff without sustenance. You know, you say stand, we say with Israel. You say stand, we say with Israel. And everybody gets all excited and they go, you know, yay team. It's like the same thing like cheering for a football game. Was there a lot of that? Was there any real, anything that was like somebody said something that you went, that people went home with and said, wow, I'm really glad that that person said that? Right. Uh, I can tell you that definitely the main takeaway from the rally was having it. Um, just 300,000 people in Washington, D.C., you know, all you know, with a unified purpose and a unified goal. That definitely was the main takeaway. There are things here and there of the rally itself that might be meaningful. Certainly, there's a lot of the hoorah, you know, uh, you know, bring them home, bring them home type of thing that happened a lot. Am Yisrael Chai, Am Yisrael Chai, that happened a lot. And that's important. I don't want to downplay that for, for 300,000 people to all sort of in unison have the same goals in mind and to, and to sort of be able to scream it out with people. That's definitely true. In terms of, you know, novel concepts or novel ideas, I don't think anyone was necessarily expecting that. Um there are certain speakers that probably rub people the wrong way. Obviously, it's politics, you know. When when Chuck Schumer says that he's a Schumer Yisrael, and then later that day votes down a bill to support Israel, so like, you know, what does it even mean? So people rolled their eyes sometimes, and people were very galvanized at other times. But I think there were moments, at least for me personally, everyone took different things out of it. There were moments for me personally that were particularly 
meaningful. I found that the, um, the, the, the singing at the end of it, which was, uh, there was also some psalms that were read, which I think some people were not expecting. You know, Yishai Rebo, the, 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 the famous uh, Israeli singer, the real bridger of communities. I don't know if you play his music on your station. but We do quite Yishai often, Rebo, yes. Yeah, so, so he led the crowd not only in song but also in prayer. And that was particularly powerful um, to see Jews that maybe haven't prayed recently or even, you know, further back than recently, um, to, to, to have them join in, in psalms and, and prayerful activities was, was meaningful. And particularly for me, because I'm a fan of Yishai Rebo, to just to hear his singing uh, and everybody else singing along with him. I spoke about this from the pulpit recently, just to hear him singing you know, Halev Sheli, his song, which talks about the broken heart of the Jewish people and talks about how God is the one that can, can repair the Jewish people's heart. Um, so this, that was particularly meaningful for me, very emotional for me. Um, but other than that, in terms of the novel messaging, I don't think there was much in terms of uh, anything that I would have to write home. Oh, did you hear what so-and-so said? So uh, not, not, really, not really much, but also wasn't very much expected either. Okay. Tell, tell us about the demographics. What type, you know, Jews come from like a full spectrum of the of religiosity and philosophical bends. I don't right. know if you could say, that, well, there were like 17.2% uh, of the people were this and 19% were this. But generally overall and from what you could see, because I don't know if you could see all 300,000 people from your vantage yeah. point. But right. what what was the, the general makeup of the crowd as far as their... Their, Jude their participation level in, in Judaism or, and uh, maybe their, their philosophy where they stood. Yeah, I, I think Israel, this, this moment in Jewish history has really brought together, you know, an unbelievable uh, kaleidoscope, if you will, uh, of the Jewish people, the landscape of, of, of who's considering and who's getting involved Jewishly has greatly expanded, unfortunately, because of this event. But um but, but it is really beautiful to see. I will tell you that I saw almost every kind of Jew at the rally. I say almost because, uh, you know, there the could be the non-affiliated, doesn't even know he's Jewish, that wasn't there. But certainly you, I could have seen some of the people that, that were unaffiliated now becoming more affiliated, uh, people who didn't necessarily dress in a way that, that is remarkable for any, uh, for any observant person. They were there. Um, and then people that were more devout was certainly there. I would say a, a large modern Orthodox demographic of, I think, all of the Jewish day schools in the New York and, and, and New Jersey area spent their entire high school. So you saw a lot of that. Uh, you saw a lot of college kids that, that maybe were fighting for something a little more you know, tangibly for them. Uh, you saw a, a bunch of the older crowd that wanted to be there that understood the moment in history that they were in, even if they weren't so observant. And you saw a lot of, you know, just general people that you would see on the street that didn't necessarily look Jewish, but maybe they were, maybe they weren't. There were a lot of non-Jews there. Um, I will say there were a couple, you know, missing demographics, uh, for better and for worse. Um, there weren't many uh, what people call Hasidic Jews there. Um, there weren't many Haredi Jews there, at least not where I was. Again, I was in a specific place. You know, I, I could probably, I probably passed by a few thousand of the 300,000, so maybe 5 to 10% of the people of the demographic I got a good, a good view of. But, um, but yeah, every stripe was represented. The proportions of the, the sort of the right wing, the, the, the far right wing religiously, 
we're not necessarily, if you want to call it like a spectrum, we're not necessarily uh, uh, obvious and uh, uh, visual, visible to me. Yeah, there were 10 buses from Crown Heights that went down. So just that's 500 okay, people so, right there or 600 people from. Right, right. So certainly there were, there, there were definitely Chabad uh, Hasidim, but uh, surprisingly enough, it, there are other Hasidim besides Chabad. But yes, Chabad was there. Uh-huh. Did you have, if Chabad was there, were people putting on to fill in with people? Oh, they were filling all over the place. They were people putting on to fill in. You know, every few minutes you see, you, you get another person pass by, ask, not Matt, not ask me, but uh, ask people around you if they put on to fill in. Yeah, that was a, uh, you know, uh, uh, certainly probably for for the for the Chabad Shaliyah that, that is committed to that activity, it was probably one of the best places to ever do it, because everyone was willing to give, everyone was willing to commit, and no one was particularly busy. You could hear the speaker united, you could do your own activities. People were people were having the minyanim, they were having prayer sessions at the rally while somebody else was speaking. Uh, so yeah, everyone could do whatever they wanted, so it was really a, a treasure trove for those trying to put on stone. Oh, that's interesting. Were people paying attention, or like you say, it was like it was like a, uh, a Hasidic wedding where people just I didn't see you since last wedding, so let's sit in the schmooze while the wedding's going on. Yeah, there was a lot of that. There was a lot of that. Certainly, as you got closer to the stage, people were paying attention. It also depended where you were in in relation to the speakers. Uh, for whatever reason, obviously it's outside, and there are hundreds of thousands of people, and you're spanning, you know, uh, you know a mile long or whatever it was. That, uh, that that there were certain spots that the sound wasn't as strong. So those spots, maybe people weren't paying as much, as much attention. Besides that, some of the speakers were professionals and knew how to speak into the microphone better than others. Um, so, and, and then some were actual speakers that people wanted to hear from. So it depended from speaker to speaker. But there were certainly speakers you either couldn't hear or didn't care to hear. Um, so there was a lot of other things going on during those speakers, for sure. Okay. So... Um... Just a general wrap-up. So what do you think the takeaway from the rally actually was, Shia Katz? I think that if your goal is to convince politicians, as I said before, you're not necessarily going to convince anyone to be or to, to, to be a supporter or to not be a supporter. Um, I do think it made a difference for those who were on, on the fringe. I think the greatest difference, and this is, you know, obviously important to me as a, as a congregational rabbi, I think the greatest takeaway that most people had, and certainly what I had, was the strength of the Jewish people, the strength that we have uh, to galvanize each other, to, to keep ourselves, keep our feet to the fire. You know, after a month's worth, it was, you know, it was time to really sort of invigorate our, our um, commitments, and this certainly did that. And I think the greatest impact were the people that were there, the greatest impact, you know, I, I said this to a couple of people, that you know, this is not just an event that's for the politicians. This is for yourself. You know, this is the kind of event that in 10 years from now, when you see a piece of news, you know, on the Internet about, you know, the Israeli government trying to make decisions about what to do in Gaza or something like that, the first thing you're going to think of is, you know, I was at a rally for 300,000 with 300,000 Jews, you know, supporting the, the state of Israel, supporting the Jewish people. And, and that's going to be it's going to become part of your identity that you were at this rally. It's, it's only one day, but it's, its effect and its influence on your life and your values and your ideology will, will continue for the rest of your life. Uh-huh. So I think that's the great takeaway. Se- segwaying into the last question, okay, so the Pu'ul and Amshechus, what's going to be, what are, you, what are you and your community and maybe all of Detroit, what should we, as the listeners of the Jewish Hour, so what should, we ta- what should be the takeaway? What should we be doing 
now? Yeah, I don't necessarily think there's a, a one-size-fit-all answer for that. I, th- I think different people have different strengths, just like everything in Judaism and in life. We all have to find the skills and the passions that we have and ca- and channel them towards the right purposes. So if you're a person that is, that, that is particularly meaningful for you to pray, so then pray more. If it, for you, you enjoy study, so study more. Do something more of what you're good at, what you're passionate about, but do it for Israel. Do it for the Jewish people. Uh, if you're adept at social media, so then maybe you know take on the responsibility of, of a campaign online, of, of forwarding campaigns from other sources to help the Jewish people. So I don't necessarily think there's one message. I just think that the message is to keep, to, to keep up the passion, to keep up the commitment, and hopefully uh, don't rest until this whole uh, ordeal is, is solved. Okay, that's going to do it. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on. Our guest today was Rabbi Shia Katz, the Rabbi Young Israel of Oak Park. We're talking about the Rally for Israel that was held in Washington, D.C., the mega rally, as it's now being called. And uh, we wish you continued success in all of your endeavors, Shia. Thank you. To you as well, Rabbi. Okay, take care. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. In excellence and kosher? Look for the Michigan K on the label. What's it look like? The Lower Peninsula of Michigan with a K. It's the symbol of the Michigan Kosher Supervisors. Go to their website, mycosup.com. That's M-I for Michigan, K-O for kosher, and S-U-P for supervisors, mycosup.com, and find this month's featured products. You'll find Michigan K products wherever fine food is sold, especially at Natural Food Patch on West Nine Mile Road in Ferndale. Herschel Finman, here you are listening to the Jewish Hour. You can see he's still excited. I mean, it's been uh, two weeks, and he's still like he, he's still in Washington D.C. So you know, it's uh, the Baal Shem Tov says where a person wants to be, that's where they are entirely. So uh, yes, so maybe you know you'll have to the uh, the expression the Pu'ulan Shechas, the the what to do with it, what'll come out of this will be, uh, he'll take it with him, you know. So, uh, and I hope uh, we'll all take something out of that one. That's a, that's a great deal. We've got a song for you. This is Laser Moshe Storch from Israel. This song is actually relevant to the portion of the week. Jacob is coming back to to Kanad, and... He's sent messengers up to ahead of him to say to his brother Ace of, hey, I'm coming back. Let's be good buddies. And they come back and say, well, he's got an army. He's going to kill you. So he prays to God, please, God, save me from the hands of my brother Jacob. And that's the meaning of the words of this song. So and let's just listen to it. Silenia, Basileni, Mia Dahi, Mia Besar. 
There's an opiate epidemic, but Advanced Rapid Detox has a solution for people addicted to pain pills, heroin, and dependent on Suboxone and Methadone. Advanced Rapid Detox performs detox under sedation in the hospital. Patients sleep through withdrawals and wake up without cravings. Dr. Julia Aronoff and the staff at Advanced Rapid Detox help people restore their lives and the lives of their families. Addiction affects everyone, even in the Jewish community, and Advanced Rapid Detox is there to help. Call 800-603-1813, that's 800-603-1813, or visit them online at www.advancedrapiddetox.com. Herschel Finman here, you are listening to The Jewish Hour. The next song which we're playing is not a klezmer song, it's a Yiddish little is what it's called. It's a, uh, a, a Jewish song. So it's just a piano and a guy playing it. And it's just how generally, all the different renditions I've heard of this song, it's generally been a piano and some cantor and like showing off his uh, vocal cords. So what's the deal? So this is, I don't I have no idea where this uh, comes from, but it's je- definitely falls into lit Yiddish lore. So the song starts, I have a coat. But the coat wore out. So what am I going to do? So I thought for, oh, you know what I could do? I could turn the coat into a vest. No, excuse me. I can turn the coat into a jacket. Okay? And then what happens? The jacket wears out, so I can turn the jacket into a vest. And then the vest wears out, and I can turn the jacket into the vest. I can turn the vest into a tie. And then the tie wears out, and I can turn that into a wallet. And then the wallet wears out, and I can turn it into a button. And then the wallet wears out, and it turns into nothing. And then I take the nothing, and I turn it into a song. That's the background behind this. So this is, the song is called Habach Mira Mantel, which means I have a coat. And the, the artist is Ido Ariel. And I'll think, I think you'll enjoy it. Now that you know the backstory of it, and you can kind of figure out when it is that he's saying what he's saying. Ob ich mir am Mantel von verzeitigen Stoff, tralalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalal
das Liedchen er sich keinen ganzen im Stoch. Darum habe ich sich betracht und erfunden im Mahandela Westel gemacht. Und Funde machen Hela Westel gemacht. Ob ich mir da Westel von Verzeihdiken stoch. Hat es nicht in sich kein ganzen im Stoch. Darum hab ich sich betracht. Und von einem Westeller Schnipsel gemacht. Tralalalalala, tralalalalala. Und von dem Westeller Schnipsel gemacht. Hab ich mir das Schnipsel von verzeihtigen Stoch. Tralalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalal
624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurance is accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Herschel Simmons here. You are listening to the Jewish Show. we got time for one more. Excuse me. We have time for one more. This is Aviel Groucher, which you might not know his name. And if you told me, we've got a song by Aviel Groucher, I'd say, well, that's nice. Well, Aviel Groucher happens to be Deddy's son. Deddy passed away uh, about a month ago. And he was working, Deddy was working on a song, which was titled, I Salute You. It's a tribute to the IDF. So Aviel finished off the song. At the end of the song, there's actually uh, some footage of his father sitting at the pl- the piano going plunk, 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 trying to play it out. We're not going to play that part because it's too far in. It takes up too much time. But this is Aviel Groucher in memory of his father, Daddy. I salute you.
Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital. The same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year, one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurances accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Herschel Finman, here you are listening to the Jewish Hour. This week's portion is the portion of Vayishlach. It is found in the book of Genesis chapter 32 and following. The portion features the re-encounter of Jacob and Esau, the twins, which are always analogized to mean the forces of good versus the forces of evil. In this encounter, Jacob goes low road, which always bothers me. Always. Every time I read this, I go, I'm just like thinking, man. What's wrong with this guy? He's got like a you know, like inferiority complex. He just lacks. If he doesn't have inferiority complex, he just definitely lacks confidence. He's thinking, you know, uh, I got to give this guy a present. He's going to hurt me. I got to pray to God. He's going to hurt me. It's like the whole song that we played at the beginning. Hatzileni nami yad Esav achi. Save me, God, from the hand of my brother Esav. I mean, Jacob was no timid, mild-mannered, college professor, slouch-type person. We know this from last week's portion when he met Rachel. It says, what did he do? He asked why. He asked the shepherds, how come you guys are congregating now around the well? Is a lot of daylight left. You guys are day workers. You should be out there like tending the sheep. And they said, well, we got to congregate together. And then we all get together and we move this huge rock so that the sheep can drink water because we can't move this thing unless we're all here. So then what happens, Rachel shows up and Jacob moves the rock himself. That tells us that Jacob was a big boy. He was no slouch. And he's just even thinking about it more, even going back further when he got the blessing, if he would have been this skinny little kid and Isaac put his hands on him, he said, what's this? You know, Jacob's this, uh, <laughs> Asaph's this big muscular dude and you're this skinny little kid. No, he had the same build as Asaph. And we see that when the encounter, it even talks about that, that Asaph tried to, to give him a bear hug and it didn't work. He couldn't over, overcome him. You're talking here now about the forces of good, the forces of evil. Let's put it in, in a uh, a scale. We, we've had, in terms of say like the rally, for example. I mean, there's this, been this very this this key phrase. I don't know if Mayor Kahani invented it or he borrowed it from somebody else. The phrase "never again," which will refer to the Holocaust, that we're not going to be led to like sheep into the cattle cars, etc., and into gas chambers. Rahman and uh, be the victims of pogroms. 
and massacres and et cetera and et cetera. We have to take the high moral ground. Yes, we do. Because when Jews, it says, when Jews will act like Jews and will do what needs to be done and we stand up for our moral convictions and draw like the line in the sand and say, no, you can't go past this line. That's, you can, this would be considered deemed unacceptable behavior. And if you cross that line, there will be serious consequences. Prepare to get whatever those consequences, prepare for those consequences. There's all kinds of jokes that have been, since I was a kid, of Israelis being uh, thought of. I didn't want to become considered the aggressor. You know, it's always been that, like, I'm looking over the shoulder. What is the world going to think of me? We know what the world thinks of Israel. There was a general back in 1967 who said, you know, Jews are just not allowed to win conflicts. It's not, it's not supposed to happen. Jews are supposed to lose. So he said it not out of sense that he wasn't like an anti-Semite. He just said it, you know, it's like the world opinion is, is that Jews are always supposed to lose because you're this little tiny army guy, you're little tiny guys with a little tiny army, and you're like skinny, puny people. And it's true. If the average, <laughs> when I went to, the, uh, to Israel, several times I've gone to Israel and I visited IDF bases or encountered IDF soldiers just in the street because they're all over the place. The average IDF soldier is five foot seven, 135 pounds. So they're little guys. But I have a nephew who was uh, a lone soldier in the IDF, which means he's an American and his family was in America and he was in the IDF. He joined the services and he served. He fought, fought in Janine. Still suffering PTSD. And so he was engaged in, in war games against army rangers. Army rangers came to Israel to practice up on their stuff. And they were basically, it's basically advanced laser tag is what it was. And they came into this training thing and they played 10 games of laser tag and the Israelis won 10-0. And he told me, he said to me, Uncle Herschel, he said, these guys had muscles in their foreheads. They were like six foot five, 250 pounds. Okay, just like fighters, said 10 out of 10. And he said, he asked the guy who runs, he says, I said, was this something unusual? She says, nah. says, this happens all the time. He says, because we fight with our heads. We take the high ground. We know. And it was, you look, where else is it? What other war was it? What? Who else fights wars where they go from building to building to building to try to make sure that only people that are fighting against us are the ones that we fight against. You know, ask, ask the people of Dresden about what happened in World War II. Oh, I'm sorry you can't because they were all incinerated by the Americans and the Brits. Okay, ask the people in Hiroshima about how they dealt with World War II. Oh, nope, sorry you can't because they had an atom bomb dropped on them and 50,000 of them were disappeared in an instant. Okay, but that the world uh, the world accepted. Here, they're going into a hospital, which is really actually a fortress. No, you can't do that. 
So why didn't you set up incubators? It's not, listen, why didn't the Hamas set up incubators? So as long as the Jews are going to take the high ground and keep the moral high ground, then the rest of the world is going to say, yes, sir. And that's what Jacob should have done in the portion of Ayishlach. And that's what Jacob, meaning the Jewish people, need to still be doing. We are going to take a quick commercial break. We have an amazing Hasidic story for you. Don't go away. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. Some things are better the way they used to be, like the crisp feel of a cool autumn day, the serenity of a baby sleeping, or the feeling of coming home after a long trip. Franklin Cider Mills makes cider the way cider is supposed to be. Its old-fashioned, clear, crisp taste reminds you of a cool autumn day. Located in the heart of historic Franklin Village at 14 Mile and Franklin Road, Franklin Cider Mill has been making cider the same way for over a century. Always fresh, with no additives or preservatives. You just can't buy Franklin Cider in any supermarket. Franklin Cider Mill is open from Labor Day weekend to after Thanksgiving from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. Come visit Franklin Cider Mill. It's kind of like coming home. Herschel Finman here. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. If you're listening to this show before Sunday, or Sunday or before, you can go to Franklin Cider. If it's Monday, you're, I'm sorry, but it's a wasted commercial because Franklin Cider Mill closes on the Sunday after Thanksgiving, and you missed it. So if it's not, you better run to Franklin Cider. I've got it. I've got my deal. I got mine. So I got mine. You get yours. So four gallons sitting in the freezer. Yes, at Jewish Ferndale for proper occasions. And it's not just for uh, any time. We're not just, just pulling this stuff out of the uh, the freezer just to guzzle. Nope, not at all. Franklin Cider, everything else is just juice. <coughs> Want to get a hold of me? Best way, go to my website, rabbifinman.com. You have a way to contact me. You have other ways in which we present Judaism in a uh, thoughtful and educational and entertaining way. We have uh, archived editions of the radio show. And we have the very important donations page. It's December this week. So we didn't get close to November yet. So we've got uh, November's got to get paid. December's going to need to get paid. So we need, it's the end of the year. So uh, check your bank account. I. Don't tell people check with your accountant because your accountant's going to say, nope, you did enough. Don't check with your accountant. Just just go to the to the website and, and put it on the credit card, and uh, you'll be happy. I'll be happy, and everybody else who listens to this program will be happy. Do that, rabbifinman.com, at the donations page. Keep the program going. We've on air 29 years we've been doing this, and, of course, is tax deductible because we're part of a 5013C corporation, which is a nonprofit corporation. It'll, can, you can use it for part of your tithing if you do that. And if you don't do, if you don't tithe, I suggest you do tithe. The Almighty likes when you take 10% of your income after taxes and give it away because that's what you're supposed to do. So put the Jewish hour in your giving plans, and uh, you'll be helping a whole lot of people believe it or not. Okay, story. The second Lubavitcher Rebbe, whose name was Dov Ber Shnuri, lived in the city of Lubavitch. That's where the term Lubavitcher Rebbe came from. And he had a disciple who had an inn. And uh, this, uh, the landowner 
was uh, threatening to foreclose on the inn, throw them out into the street because of lack of payment of rent, which, you know, there's not a whole lot of livelihood going on in these uh, these inns over here. So he went to this disciple, this chassid, went to the, to the Mittler Rebbe, and said, could, you, could the Mittler Rebbe write a letter of recommendation to his friend Moshe A? I don't know what the last name was. It's just Moshe A, who was a very wealthy man, who was a friend of the landowner, that he, Moshe A, should use his influence to help with this innkeeper. He says, absolutely, 100%. So he wrote the letter. They handed it to the innkeeper. The innkeeper walked out of the office and started to walk away. And he looked and it said it was addressed to Moshe M, a different friend. He wanted it addressed to Moshe A, and he addressed it to Moshe M. So he went to the secretary and said, I have to go back in. There's a, there's a mistake. He didn't. He addressed it to the wrong person. So the, the uh, secretary said, you've already been inside. There are other people who need to go in. And we can schedule an appointment for three months. He said, no, this is important. It was a mistake made. It. So the Rebbe's son came and heard what was going on and said, a Rebbe doesn't make mistakes. Go deliver the letter to Moshe M. And see what happens. So he traveled back to his town. He delivered the letter to Moshe M. Moshe M didn't have two nickels to rub together. And he didn't know the landowner. So he said, I don't know what, what the Rebbe wants from me. That night, 2 o'clock in the morning, Moshe M is sound asleep. Here's a, here's a banging on the door. Gets up. Uh, uh, what? What? It's the landowner. He brings him in. He says, what happened? What, what's, what's, what's going on? He said, he was on his horse. And he was out doing what he was doing, and it got dark, and he lost his way, and he was started riding the wrong way into the forest. And now he's totally lost, but he saw the house. So this is the first house that he came upon. Could he stay here for the rest of the night? So Moshe M. made him a, made him a cup of tea, gave him something to eat, gave him a pair of pajamas, gave him a nice warm bed to stay in. In the morning, he made him breakfast, and... The innkeeper was so happy. Thank you so much for taking you. Saved my life. It was it was rainy. It was cold. It was dark. There were animals. Who knows what else was in that forest? So he said, "I want to pay you." So Moshe said, "You don't need to pay me. What did I do already? I made you breakfast. Big deal. A couple of eggs. <laughs> you didn't you didn't cost me anything. No big deal." So he says, "No, no, no. I insist. I want to pay." He says, "Well, if you really want to know." I have this friend who has an inn, and you want to foreclose on his property. So I want you to, like, reconsider. So he said, consider it done. I'm canceling the rent that he owes, and he can start new. And then the innkeeper said, it's very interesting because Moshe A. came to me and said that he has a friend that needs a job. Would I consider getting rid of this innkeeper and putting his friend into the inn instead of the innkeeper. So had he gone to Moshe A, it would have been a waste of time. 
So we see the statement of the Rebbe's son, the Rebbe doesn't make mistakes. That's going to do it. We hope we had a chance to entertain you a bit. We hope you had a chance to educate you a bit. We hope you have a great week. We hope to see you back again next week. Take care. I'm right here with you. You're always protected. I watch as the world stands together to pray. Their thoughts are with you the whole day. It's part of my plan I cannot explain. With Simcha and trust we must Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.